Hello, podcast listeners. This is Rob Long, along with Peter Robinson, one of the co-founders of Ricochet. The audio-on-demand show you're about to hear is brought to you by Ricochet. And if you've been listening, you've also been hearing me tell you about how great it is to be a member of the fastest-growing, smartest, wittiest, most civil conversation on the web. But don't take my word for it. Here's a Ricochet member to say it better, as Ricochet members usually do. I'm particularly impressed with the intelligence, education, diverse personal experiences of Ricochet members, as well as the wide range of topics discussed here, politics, economics, literature and music, family life, and even sports. The most appealing aspect of Ricochet for me, however, is most definitely the humor. There are a lot of funny people on this site who could certainly be described as characters and even rascals. I'm surprised every time I sign on to the member feed, and I warn you, though, this site can become addictive. There's lots more to discover on the site, and there are three tiers of membership available, each with its own goodies. Coolidge, Thatcher, and, of course, the highest level, the Reagan. Find out more and join today at ricochet.com, and thank you for listening. All right, gold member. Don't play the laughing boy. (laughs) There are only two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. What? The Glop Podcast is brought to you by Harry's Shave. For the finest shave at the best price, go to harrys.com and use the coupon code Ricochet at checkout. And yes, this is Gloptober. The Glop Culture October podcast with me, John Pudhoritz in New York City, as always in Washington, Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. Hey, John. And uh, usually in L.A., but I think in New York right now, Rob Long. Hi, Rob. John, how are you? I am in New York City. So there are two of us in New York City, one of us in Washington, D.C., and we are all three of us from these perches in the deepest of deep blue watching and wondering what is going to happen in in blue and red state America just four weeks from now in the will it be a wave, won't it be a wave, maybe it'll be a Republican Senate, maybe the Democrats will just squeak back into majority control. And it's really an interesting moment because I think everybody believed, including Democrats and and, and liberals and leftists, that the um, that the Senate majority would have been put away by now by Republicans, but Democrats are hanging in all across the country, or so the polling tells us. And uh, I'm wondering whether you guys have any ideas why. Oh wait, you mean the polling told me? You mean you think that the that it's getting weaker? That that, that it's not a slam no, dunk? No, the wave no. stuff isn't there. I think if you had, if you had said last October November that Republicans would field uh, would have in the field candidates as strong as the ones they have. In almost every case, Republicans have right. the candidates that they wanted and who right. are you know better than any field in a decade or more um, and that their pre- president's approval rating would be as low as it is. That would have been uh, surprising. That, that the was- issue environment would be as bad as it is for Democrats and yet – all these races in the you know all these races in the breadbasket are 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 tied up. I don't know. I mean, okay. aren't you surprised at the weakness of some of the Democratic candidates? I mean, I was in, I was in a, an event on in July, talking to two or three sort of smart uh, Republican operatives who, when we talked about Arkansas, said you know we love Tom Cotton, but man, Pryor, he's you know he's got that state locked up. He's a legacy. Blah 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 blah. And it looks like Cotton's going to win. Well, that's an interesting – I'm just saying I think it, in, in general, it's a midterm election. The issue environment is bad for Democrats. The Republicans did amazing recruiting jobs. I mean they have a very strong candidate, Republicans, in Minnesota who was probably you – it know, was almost certainly not going to win. His name is Mike McFadden. I watched a debate that he had with Al Franken <laughs> last week and he wiped the floor with Franken. It was a very, very ah, impressive ah, performance. Wow, we should post the link to that. I want to see that. But it are is, you noticing – am I the only person noticing though that jockeying for the post-election 
you know, it's like such a very inside media thing. Now. <laughs> I was reading this morning, like uh, Democrats now, Democratic operatives are saying, well, it's not about 2014. It's about 2016. Republicans are in trouble in 2016 in the Senate. And Republican sort of or, or more conservative activists saying, like, well, it doesn't matter about 2014 because they're going to sell us out and we're going to lose in 2016. <laughs> it's like we're already past, we're already past it. We've already right. decided it doesn't really matter whatever happens. Every, everyone's already taken <laughs> chips off the table and they've gone to another casino now, right. which kind of like, you know, we're bored of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, Just, whatever happens, it's going to be bad. See, what I, <laughs> I, I think well, that's true. Um, <laughs> that, that is the official NR position, by that the way. That is right. <laughs> um, uh, but what I think is sort of missing from all this is that I think no one would have predicted how much better the Democrats would be at raising dark money and big money and fat cat billionaire money while complaining about Republicans doing exactly that. Yeah. And a lot of these guys have managed to stay in the race in large part because they have big spending advantages over the right. Republicans. And it is, it is an amazing to me how much the mainstream media is perfectly happy to believe Democratic press releases about the you know the evils of the Koch brothers and all of this nonsense, and follow that narrative even though it's demonstrably not true and hasn't been for a long time. Right. Well, you know, it's not just that. I think you also have one of the ways that Democrats are are bolstered is the last eight years. They've just been much, much, much better at the technical aspects of politics than Republicans have been at getting out the vote and using social media and using all these techniques that uh, Republicans actually were great at, at the, in the early part of the two thousands and then completely lost their way and, and seeded the entirety of yeah. big data and all of that to Democrats. So if you combine what Jonah's talking about, which is, which is the oceans and reservoirs of money that Democrats are raising and spending partially because they're incumbents, Partially because, you know, the richest people in America are now much more likely to be Democrats than Republicans. And you combine that with their technical facility, you see that they seem to be defying gravity. That's that's all I think. Oh, now, so are, wait, are, is this just jitters, John? I mean, are you like, no, are you I don't have jitters because I'll tell you why. I don't actually scared. think it matters all that much, yeah. to be honest. Um, I mean, there's a Democratic president, whatever it is that the Republican the well, Republican House, and so if there's a Republican Senate, Republicans can pass legis- you know can pass yeah. legislation that Obama can veto. So I'm not sure that it matters all that much in terms of the things that I I care about. I'm looking at this really more as like a a, a politics spectator and seeing that Republicans did everything that anybody who would have thought they needed to fix themselves to do have done. You know, yeah, but really solid well, candidates all well, over the place. Yeah, in, in, in one, in one with one exception, and you know, and maybe I'm just arguing my portfolio here, but you know, we at National Review, the Wall Street Journal too, um, have been arguing pretty vociferously that the Republicans actually need a positive agenda. They can't just be anti-Obama. They can't just be anti-Obamacare. They actually have to say what they're going to do, and. Individual candidates may or may not have done that, but there has been no real – I mean Ryan's previous speech last week notwithstanding, there's been no real effort to do a big even, – you know, even a tenth of what the contract with America was, effort at, at managing a national theme to, to rebut the charge that we're the party – the Republicans are the party of no and all of that. That, that just hasn't been forthcoming and I, I think that's – that was a mistake. I mean I – I, 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 I agree. The fact that you yeah. could say the phrase – Ryan's previous speech notwithstanding is itself one of the you know exhibit a for your uh, for your argument that, that but, will, but listen yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm all in favor of the argument that Republicans needed or need a positive agenda. however, the fact is that they haven't articulated a national positive agenda because the party is torn in 17 different ways on every major issue. And you have very serious problems. I mean, just think about the fact that it's only in the last three or four weeks that it has now become apparent that the the idea that the Republican Party was trending isolationist is now kind of blasted out of the water by all the poll data as a result of ISIS and various other things that suggest that Republicans remain – Republican voters remain 
nationalists who believe in a strong defense and believe right. in the projection of American power. But if you had said this in February or March, I'm not sure you would really have known whether Rand Paul or um, you know Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz in his in his sort of neo Reaganite foreign policy mode represented the real heart of the party. Now I think we know. But what would you have done if you were in April or May and you were Boehner and McConnell and whoever trying to figure out what the positive agenda was going to be? It is a it is an aspect of the Republicans being out of power for this long and having been thrown on their heels uh, because of what happened in Iraq and because of the financial crisis that that there was there has been no articulation of that agenda because it can't simply be it's part of what we do as thinkers and intellectuals and I run a magazine Jonah yourself. writes columns I, and you you know and and the many and whatever ideas, whatever Rob does and the what? many ideas that Rob promulgates for <laughs> say it for, for 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 you know how to deal with the uh, problem of the of income stagnation on Sullivan and Son on TBS exactly. uh, weekly I, I I advocate for the uh, the glorious entrepreneurial capitalist melting pot for the exactly. experience of American immigrants that is essentially um, conservative. Rhino. They are, they're, Rhino. <laughs> Rhino. Amnesty. Shamnesty. Shamnesty Rhino. Is, sh- is Shamnesty See, a thing? That's what I'm saying. That's Did you just invent that? Shamnesty? No, 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 no. No, yeah, no you um, just don't get you just don't get emails accusing you of shamnesty uh, support. Yeah, so that's right. um, that's I'm saying, and right there, there's another example. I mean, the Republican Party is very torn on immigration. That is to say, that the base some, seems some to candidates, some, candidates, some individual candidates are torn both ways. Yeah, exactly. Right. So here we have. So here we have the. Here we have the problem of the articulation of the positive agenda. I mean, it can't be done if it can't be done. That's my. So, John, I mean, why are we dwelling on this? Do you actually think Republicans aren't going to take back the Senate? Is that what what, what the subtext here is? Because this seems awfully down. I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't. I think, down. I really were, think, were you watching Morning Joe today? Is that what's going on? No. In Mor- no. Morning Joe. No, almost, I have a column. Uh, I wrote. I was writing a column this morning about, as I say, I think the fact is that if you look at the fundamentals, as they call them, the fundamentals spoke to a Republican wave this year, and it doesn't look like there's going to be a wave. Now, by the way, Republicans may win seven seats and take over the Senate. That would not constitute a wave. A wave would probably be eight or nine or ten seats, and that clearly is beyond them. But but if you but if you had again, if you had said last December that everything was going to look the way it looks now, I think Democrats would have been running for the hills and Republicans would have thought, oh my God, we're having one of the great years ever. And that clearly just doesn't seem to be the case. But maybe it is, you know, maybe this polling is 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 missing you know, is overestimating the uh, Democratic turnout and underestimating Republican passion and all of that. And there's going to be no President Obama to get people to go to the polls on November 4th if it's raining and stuff like that. So you could really have that situation in which there is an overestimation of Democratic strength. I don't know. There's no way of knowing. I just wondered if you guys had a thoughts on it. I'm only enjoying two two. Well, three things, right? I'm enjoying the the pre the the pre post game analysis coming from the Democrats, which is that well, 2014 doesn't matter. Um, you're all in trouble in 2016, which is actually numerically correct. And then the uh, the pre post game from um, conservative activists, which is they're going to sell us out. We're going to have a Republican majority in 2015, January 2015. They will begin to sell us out with their get along go along agenda. And I'm also enjoying um, the uh, um, Bill Clinton stumping in Arkansas, <laughs> telling people, "This is do not make this a referendum on Obama," <laughs> which which is it, 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 only Bill Clinton can attack Obama with that subtlety. Yeah, by the way, that Clinton that Clinton appearance was very peculiar because he went to the state to support Pryor in his right. campaign against Tom Cotton and did not mention Tom Cotton, which suggests to me that he's doing this dutifully and to mm-hmm. score the chits for Hillary, but that he thinks that Pryor is probably done. That's that's how I look yeah. at it. He so. really did not go to the mattresses for prior yesterday. No, but 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 he it, he did go to the mattresses to 
make a point about how how you sh- if you're going to go and vote, don't vote uh, uh, don't don't vote because you don't like Obama because he knows he'll lose that that. <laughs> so right. I, I thought he I think he accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. He got he scored some points and he <laughs> and he nailed Obama. Although it's like- funny, I, I was talking and it is an amazing thing though about Arkansas, Arkansas in particular, which is such a weird state. Um, you know, it's funny. I had an old girlfriend who was working in Arkansas, and I used to visit there a lot. And I want to get a got regional guidebook. You know, like I figured I'd do some driving around. None of the the regional travel books include Arkansas. So, like the the ones for the South don't take Arkansas. Yeah. The ones for the West don't take. Ar- no one wants Arkansas. But uh, anyway, uh, um, I was talking to somebody, a Politico type from Arkansas, the other day in, in the green room, and. Uh, he was just talking about how it is just unbelievable how unpopular Obama is in Arkansas beyond. And, you know, he says, you know, even if you want to say race is some of it, fine. Quarter of it is a race thing. I mean, I think that might be high, but it is, he is just unbelievably poisonous in Arkansas. And it's also in West Virginia, you know, and I think it's just sort of Clinton, you know, Clinton to be effective. He always has to do something to sort of accept the premises of the crowd and then twist them right. to his advantage. And so he kind of had to admit that, you know, people were voting <laughs> against Obama there because they are. So what do you guys think Obama was doing last week when he said, you know, I'm not on the ballot, but my policies are on the ballot. What? You know, Giving even full da- flower to his ego. Even yeah. David Axelrod said that was a mistaken thing to say. And it has actually handed, I watched Cory Gardner in Colorado debate Mark Udall, the sitting senator, yesterday. Another debate in which in which uh, the Republican mopped the floor with the Democrat. And Gardner, every five minutes, said the president said his policies are on the ballot. The president said his policies are on the ballot. Obviously, this is a yeah. this is a thing that every one of these candidates in a state where Obama is underwater is going to push and push and push. It's so, so weird. It's, I, I find it, it's like only he, only Obama, doesn't know that his political instincts suck. <laughs> he's the only one. Everyone else knows it, and he's the only one. It's like it's um, I, I'm trying to think of the the movie character he's like the guy who is incredibly confident, but just you know he's he's Inspector Clouseau. He's President Clouseau is who he is. Right. You know, Clouseau kind of walks through those Pink Panther movies. He's got no idea that there's explosions around him and these breaking things and that, that he's tripping over stuff. He's got no idea. He's completely ignorant of it. Um, and that's sort of like the president. We just, he just has no idea. And I'm sure he spent two hours the next day carefully explaining to everybody in, you know, in you know, five feet of him why that was actually smart that he said that. <laughs> and they all nodded and said, well, no, of course, Mr. President, you had to say it. No, no, I, he's just surrounding – I mean it's really it, – it's, it's, it's almost funny. But you know, there's a detail uh, – there's a detail in the New York Times story today about uh, the release of Leon Panetta, the former secretary of defense and CIA director and Clinton yeah. official – his um, his his memoir, which 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 is out this week, and it says that uh, his memoir Panetta, is entitled subtitled "I'm Not Too Old to Work in the Hillary Clinton Administration." <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. He's running a walnut farm, by the way. Uh, yeah. That's his. Uh, that's what he's doing in retirement. That's a euphemism. You know, he's like uh, he's like uh, Cincinnati <laughs> with the walnut yeah. farm. Yeah. But um, he said so. This guy who was chief of staff of the White House was a senior official in Congress for twenty years. That if he, as Secretary of Defense, spoke to an individual congressman on his own, on his own, he was yelled at by the White House. A guy with immense experience in Washington who knows more about Washington than these than, yeah, than who these, you know, Chicago stumble bums. He said officials in the White House come, would 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 resoundly attack him for going behind their back or speaking without authorization or something like that. I mean, that's insane. Isn't it? It's in the book and it's in, it's in Peter Baker's story in the New York times. But don't you feel like that probably happened one time and he just kind of prima donna. No, no, No. this, I mean, I'm not defending it, but you know, this white house does everything. It does everything. 
And, but it, what I love about it is it does everything poorly. <laughs> it's, right. like, it's like, no, yeah. no, I'll do that. No, no, let me handle that. I'll do that. Like, and no one can, no one can step in and say, well, why don't, you know, you got, gosh, you got so much on your plate, Mr. President. Yeah. Why don't you just handle golf? And then the rest of us will do the other stuff. See, the thing see, is, like, like, I, I like people need to go back and read Bob Herbert and a couple of these guys. There was a time when everyone was calling him the chess master. Where, you know, where he was, he was, you know, what we didn't understand was that he was thinking these things five, six, ten moves ahead. And we in the Beltway bubble were just reacting to the headlines of the day. And I think this is exactly the opposite. You know, John got at this a little bit in his column the other day for the Post. This is an unbelievably unimaginative man. This is a guy who, I mean, if you go back and you just, with, if you have it in mind, that if you if you keep open the possibility that he is essentially ju- just reacting to media firestorms and domestic political flare-ups, and you look how he's done foreign policy for the last five years, you realize that there is no strategy other than this sort of political reactiveness to everything. It's why he did his stuff in Afghanistan. You know, it's why he announced the date certain for withdrawal from Afghanistan at the moment he announced the surge. It's why he went into Libya the way he did. It's why he balked at Syria. It's the why, you know, a month ago he was saying it's it's ridiculous to arm these dentists and orthodontists in the free in the free Syria army. And now he's talking about the, how that's the essence of his strategy. It's why he gave a political consultant and PR notes to ISIS about how they should have released these hostages instead of beheading them. Right. And which it, they it, are wisely not taking because this is not a guy you want, whose advice in politics you want to take. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, it is, it is very, wait, can very I Can I add one striking. thing? Can I add one thing? But I know, I know uh, uh, John, you want to get to your, uh, your important um, spot here. But before as, – as somebody who does not have kids, I have noticed and I'm that not – That you're taking credit for. Yeah, exactly. I've noticed that there are – that people <laughs> I know who have children, they all go through the same phase where when the child is uh, really too young for anyone to determine this or that, um, they say in kind of a very serious, hushed whisper to anyone who can listen, you know, our baby is gifted. And then you look over at the baby, the baby's in the high chair and there's, you know, there's, there's food everywhere and there's, you know, there's, there's feces <laughs> dripping out of the diaper and there's this kind of like – vaguely you know vacant look on the baby's face and no no really we, i mean he's been tested and um <laughs> he's gifted he's gifted and we're we're just trying to figure out how to how to uh, how to adjust our parenting for that and and you look at this baby the baby's not gifted i'm not saying the baby's ungifted i'm just saying the baby's not gifted and yeah. every parent goes through this and i think that the entire progressive uh media g- bubble is still in that phase with this president Right. Well, you know, well, it reminds the, the compa- me of the compa- I just very quickly because I was talking about this the other yeah. day, and it's a different. It's a little difficult to talk about without sounding offensive. But the comparison, <laughs> I think, is that is most obvious given events in the news recently is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson is clearly a very smart guy, um, but he also clearly has a staggering self regard, and you have to wonder to a certain extent. How, and, and his fans are ferociously, viciously right. defensive of the guy. Right. And it, there, there's a similarity with Barack Obama. I don't want to, you know, I think Barack Obama is a very smart guy, but I think he also, you know, he's, he's this African American guy who went through his entire life where everybody told him he was smarter than he really was, where that he was always the guy who got the extra attention from professors. Professors always sought out his opinion and always rewarded it with special praise. And these guys, they end up believing the story about themselves. It doesn't mean they're – I don't think they're dumb or anything like that. But they, they, you look at Obama. You know, Obama said – you know, remember that line where he said, I'm a better speechwriter than my speechwriters. I'm a better expert in policy right. than my policy experts. No, he's not. He, he once said that he would make a fantastic chief White House chief of staff and it was too bad he couldn't do the job himself. Yeah. Um, that's insanity and he, be- <laughs> yeah. and he believes it. Well, right. you know, but the other thing that's been told that like because over and over and over again. Yeah. Not, and it doesn't really because I think for the people who love him and support him, it doesn't he, he's not the point. It's not it's never been about him. It's but it's about how awesome I am that I like him. Right. Right. But you so know, it's like, well, go ahead. here's another here's another here's another analogy. 
Justin Timberlake starts going on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and he is fantastic on Saturday Night Live. He's great. And he's great on Saturday Night Live. So he gets cast in movies, and he doesn't do that well in movies. And he gets – he does this, he does that. The truth is Justin Timberlake, aside from, you know, aside from being a sort of talented performer, Justin Timberlake was built to host and be a guest on Saturday Night Live. That is what he does – better than anybody else in his generation. Obama was built to get elected president in yeah. 2008 and to get reelected in 2012. That is what he did better than anybody in his generation. Didn't mean he could lead. Didn't yeah. mean he could be president. Didn't mean he could yeah. write policy. Didn't mean he could withstand you know, the difficulties of, of, of the office. That he could do. Like nobody's business, yeah, and sometimes that, that doesn't translate into other qualities. Is all okay. I'm that 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 is an incorrect analogy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why? Okay. Yeah, because oh, Justin well. Timberlake has been in a few pictures, and he hasn't been. They haven't. They haven't exploded. But Justin Timberlake is. It, it, you well, wait. He is a will be a gigantic movie star. Okay. Well. He's a young man. He's going to be a gigantic. Fair he was enough. fantastic okay. in the social network in a small role. Yeah. When he's in a small role, he's look. He's 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 following the Sinatra pattern, right? Not the lead, the co-lead, or the or or, or the supporting player for a little bit, and then you then you, then you become Sinatra. Well, we'll he see. will be a star. We'll see. It's like, so it's like Bronson Pinchot, right? Becoming bald. It's like it's exactly like <laughs> Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> Bronson you Pinchot know, built was built to be bulky. Yes. Or to be Serge. Yeah. But make put put Bronson Pinchot and Hamlet and <laughs> you're gonna have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, speaking, speaking gentlemen, of which I saw Bronson Pinchot's co-star at Perfect Strangers, Marklin Baker, very fine actor, and you can't take it with you on Broadway. He was excellent. I'm seeing it tonight, so I'm very well, excited. I, I loved every second of it, but I'm, I'm a, a sucker for all that stuff. Well, it's pretty great. Anyway, gentlemen. Let's talk about Harry's shape, okay? Harry's is less than a year old, and it is already disrupting the shaving industry, offering a better shaving experience at better value than giants like Schick and Gillette. I mean, we, we got these razors and yeah. stuff in the mail, and it, the company makes amazing German-engineered blades, and they care so much about the quality of the shave, they just purchased the 93-year-old German factory that makes them. This is a fantastic product. And here's why you should order your next shaving kit from Harry's. It's focused on providing guys a great shaving experience for a fraction of the price of its competitors. So the razor blades cost half the price of stuff that you might otherwise buy. It's got a clean product design. Uh, The blades are cheap. It's so easy to run line. It's inexpensive. Um, that's great. And, and I have to say, I had a great shave with it. It comes with shaving cream and aftershave lotion. I'm not so crazy about aftershave lotion in general. So, cause I, I feel like it's, you know, every time I try to put it on, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, like John Travolta in the bathroom in Saturday night fever, uh, back in 1977. Yeah. But you know, if you like that kind of thing, it's there for you too. shipped to your door. So, so are you saying, John, you don't, you don't, you don't have a signature scent. I, uh, I I used to be I used to have Doctari, but um, <laughs> but then I think that was considered culturally uh, insensitive, yeah. and and so I no longer have have uh, have Doctari. Um, I think Jonah was an axe man before before he before he got the Harry's aftershave lotion. Am I right, Jonah? Axe. Well, it's funny. Every time I go out to L.A., I douse myself in axe to test the proposition of whether those commercials are accurate, and it never works. I never get attacked by all of these like twenty-two-year-old girls. Um, and there's, a, there's anyway. another sure reason. There's another reason, and there's another reason why you should be ordering from Harry's.com, Harry's Shave, because it's shaving. As I understand it, it's aftershave lotion attracts people just slightly out of that demographic, but who are still hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I, I'll that's, bring this that's up. as I understand it. I, stay on point with Harry's for a second. Years ago, in the corner and. Uh, I picked up on something that Mickey Kaus was writing about. This is back before Mickey Kaus was uh, the the Ahab to the illegal immigration white whale and could talk about write about nothing else. Um, 
he ranted about the 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 BS of of the corporate razor universe, um, yeah. the, the 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 corporate razor Leviathan. And um, it became a huge topic of conversation on the corner as well um, about how they sort of rigged the system. They're constantly coming out with these new razors that require you to get, you know, sort of hooked on a new system, like, you know, five, six blades. It's insane. And then all of a sudden you notice a year, two years down, like the Gillette Fusion doesn't give you the same shave that it used to. And it's because what they're trying to do is prepare the market to bump up to the next one in quality. And much more of an expense and get you hooked. And it's amazing. You go to a drugstore or to, you know, Costco and they have to keep the razors behind these yeah. things along with the Rolex watches and the, and the Fabergé eggs. And That's it's right. insane. Is, and Harry's is cheap, comes to your door. It's yeah. great. Try it. Harry's.com. Use the promo code GLOP to save $5 off your first purchase you will thank us. This is a great product, and we thank Harry's for sponsoring the Glob podcast. And John, now, they're inexpensive, not cheap. They're cheap inexpensive. Is a, cheap, cheap is a bad word. They're inexpensive, yeah. but of great value, right? Cheap, so, cheap makes it sound like they're shoddy. They're it's not so shoddy. Moving. They're really good. It's so. so moving. So now if we move <laughs> off politics and shaving. It's so moving. <laughs> shaving and politics. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are now into October. We're about to, we're about to start spending six months talking about the Oscars. So we might as well start talking about the Oscars now. Really? There is one one picture, one picture that is a dead solid certain best picture okay. nominee, and that is Richard Linklater's Boyhood, which I, which is the which is the remarkably now, filmed okay. tw- filmed over the space of twelve years with the same cast. Beautiful movie. Boy right? grows from six to eighteen. Uh, it's kind of a remarkable movie. I, I mean, Let I have me some problems with it. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Uh, I was arguing with a friend of mine the other day. I saw that picture. Now, look, in the movie, it's set in Texas, but everybody's a liberal and a Democrat, and they make fun of George W. Bush. And it's like it goes throughout the 90s, so a lot of it's about, you know, a big, a Dick Cheney lied and all that stuff. That movie, to me, is a bedrock conservative picture. I think that is a very – I think that's a – they're – there's a lot of merit to that view because and the here's truth. Why. Of, yes, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say because it's about it's really not it's not really so much about boyhood as it is about parenthood and about two things. One, how women have really borne the brunt of the progressive feminist sort of cultural revolution that they didn't help them so much as it put them in this absolutely untenable and un unsuccedable position, uh, and that men are now empowered to sort of extend their boyhood to – well, Ethan Hawke extends it to his mid-30s or late 40s and then he can turn around and start again and become a good father and an attentive father to a second family now that he's got his act together. And, it's, and, and he's seen as like, well, I'm glad you got your act together. Uh, whereas the poor, his poor first wife is sort of like, well, I, there were a lot of years where I struggled and didn't know if I was going to make it. And you were – I don't know whether you were. You were off somewhere. And it really is an indictment of that kind of adulthood, uh, that kind of uh, – you know, these are the children. I mean you know, I, you know, he's probably – Ethan Hawke in the picture is re- a little older than me. But you know, that, that generation, people you – know, right. boomer, like early Gen Xers. You know? Right. So basically to lay it out. So the movie is about this – starts with this boy. He's six. By the time it ends, he's 18 and he's gone off to college. And it's the same actor – filmed over 12 years and Ethan Hawke plays his father Patricia Arquette plays his mother the director Richard Linklater's daughter Lorelai plays his sister sorry about the sorry about the she is great she is the breakout performer in the movie if there's a problem with the movie in my view it is that the boy L.R. Coltrane is actually in the end not that interesting a performer or a personality and his character isn't that interesting either Sorry about this. I, there's some kind They're of major, coming for you, John. There's some kind you. of major fire here just south of, south of Times Square. So the central point in this movie is that it begins with this little boy being the child and his sister being the child of divorced parents. And it really follows the journey of his mother who goes from being a sort of – up slightly up from white trash divorcee. She struggles to put herself through school. She ends up getting a doctorate. She ends up teaching at community college. Meanwhile, she marries her professor who turns out to be 
uh, a drunk and slightly abusive and ha- who has his own kids. And then she dumps him right. and she ends up with another guy who is an Iraq veteran who is a cop uh, in a small town in Texas. And they get themselves in over their heads because they buy a short sale house that they can't afford. And that marriage starts to get into trouble. And so what you really have is this portrait of life in you know our time and the struggles of this very well-meaning, very responsible young woman who is trying to do right by her kids under very, very difficult circumstances, some of which are self-imposed, you know, bad choices, bad men. Right. Um, and, and it's really immensely moving. I mean, there's a moment toward the end when she bursts into tears and says, as, as her kids are really leaving her and says, yeah. this is the worst day of my life and nobody cares. I've got nobody here to care about me at a time when everybody is leaving me and I've got nothing left, you know, and it's very heartbreaking. And that, by the way, is a genuinely, a surprisingly great performance by an actress. I don't, I don't think anybody knew had it in her, Patricia Arquette. I mean, it's a sensational performance yeah, and if she so. doesn't, and she Look. may well win the Oscar for supporting actress. I mean, it's a, but I think you're right. It's it's a Hawk did a great job too. I mean, it's a really yeah. what I what I find amazing about this movie is a no one ever did it before. Like no one's ever done a movie like this before, where you tell a, a, a fictional story. I mean, they've done documentaries Seven yeah. Up and Fourteen Up and the Michael Apted series of documentaries where he follows a bunch of school kids from age seven to age fifty six. Fifty six. But this is a scripted sh- movie. They shot over twelve years, and it's really lovely and. Um, I don't know. I just I found it really moving, and I, I think whenever you're, when, when, if you, I, I guess this is what I mean. If you tell the story of a working class or lower middle class American family in the eighties and nineties, sorry, the nineties and the and the and the two thousands, you are essentially going to tell a story that bur- that bolsters conservative politics. If you're really if you're honest, if you're, if you're honest, honest which, right. which which it is. Although I think. If I if I read stuff correctly, it's sort of Richard Linklater's own story, and he's our age. So uh, it might also be the case that if you told that same story about the seventies, eighties, and nineties, right. you would bolster you would bolster a conservative view of the United States because it is a story about the what happens when people believe that their responsibilities to themselves outweigh their responsibilities to others. I mean, I, right. I mean, I think that would be the general proposition but it is uh certainly something you should see and it will be one of the nine or ten oscar nominees without without question i've just seen the latest hot talky picture uh, gone girl um which uh is brilliantly made and is uh number, is number really one, not that week. good yeah. number one picture last week what's interesting about gone girl of course is that it was a huge book right yeah, and people. Uh, it was a big book. Everyone knows it's a mystery, right? It's a thriller yeah. with mystery, mysterious ending. I haven't seen it. I haven't read the book, but people, people who lined up. I, this is an anecdotal story I heard yesterday from one of the um, literary agents who represented the book. He was in line because he wanted to see the movie, but everybody else in line had read the book. So one of the reasons the movie got greenlit and got made was because it had been re- widely read, and everyone knew the story. So we'll make the movie of the mystery because they know people will line up to see a movie version of a mystery where they know what happens in the end because right. they want to see what it looks like. They should just put a little sticker on the – you know, they always have that sort of now seem to be a major motion picture you know, on, on paperback versions when the movies go right. They should just yeah. put a big sticker on it saying spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the way, this will ruin the movie for you. By the way, as I say in the piece that I have that will be in the Weekly Standard later this week uh, on, on Gone Girl, um, they're lucky, the people who made it are lucky that the book and the screenplay are by, are by a woman, Gillian Flynn, because it is the single most misogynistic thing I've ever seen. And if men had written it, and you know, like there is no way there would be – people would be setting theaters on fire. Instead – there are debates on Vox.com, the world's stupidest, brilliant website, about whether it's a feminist breakthrough. If this is a feminist breakthrough, then, you know, I, 
I don't know, you know, films about castration are a male, are a male feminine, you know, or a male breakthrough. I mean, it so, is. Speaking of feminist breakthroughs, have either, did either of you guys see the season premiere of uh, Homeland? No, but I like, uh, but, but, but tell me what happens. Cause okay, I, so this is a spoiler alert for anybody, any listener yeah. who, you know, whatever. So Carrie, you know, the, 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 the protagonist the femme fatale of the show, right? She is, I, I, I won't get too deep in the weeds. She's been off in Islamabad and Afghanistan and Kabul doing the things that she needs to do, like bomb uh, terrorist wedding parties and that kind of stuff. And But she had left a baby at home. And kudos to these guys for whoever the casting director was for finding a redheaded baby that looks exactly like that guy Brody, who's the father. <laughs> It's really impressive. I mean, I, I don't know what they did, but it's it's a little. It's almost you almost suspect CGI because it's kind no. of freaky. But um, anyway, so Carrie doesn't want to be a mom. She left the baby with her sister, and uh, long story short, she's back home only to deal with some congressional hearings. She desperately wants to get back to Islamabad and abandon her baby with her sister. And she has to spend one day taking care of her own child, doing its changes its diapers and all the rest. And there's this scene where she's giving it a bath. And she has this moment where she is very clearly and sorely tempted to drown the baby in the bathtub. And she kind of lets it slip beneath the water. And all of a sudden she comes to her senses and pulls the baby out of the water. But... She was she was almost there, and it is a very dramatic scene. You know, and, you know, I'm one of the I'm like I'm with John. I get very uncomfortable in scenes that involve children in peril, particularly babies. That's why that movie Willow, where they used a baby as the MacGuffin, was yeah. such an unbelievably terrible idea. But um, uh, anyway, I have to wonder. What do these people think they're trying to tell us with this this chick's you know because this is not this is not you know we had a very rough time in my family when my baby was born you know cried literally for three months and you have postpartum stuff and depression she wasn't suffering from postpartum depression she wasn't suffering from sleep deprivation she was home for a day and she's like shit I'm stuck with this kid and tried to drown it. And I really was expecting some huge media kerfuffle from salon feminists saying this is the dilemma that every woman faces or, you know, conservatives saying this is what feminists think, uh, you know, is a real dilemma. Should I drown my baby? And I, mean, I just expected I, I thought it was such unbelievable trolling of, of America, of sort of American, yeah. you know, lean in. Can you have can you have a full career and not drown your baby? I mean, it was just I thought it was so heavy handed, and yet there was like no kerfuffle about it. What I love is the first of all the answer to that question obviously is yes, you can have a career as a dashing CIA operative and have a uh, have a baby. Although you may try to drown the baby, but you'll at the last minute, I guess what pull the baby out from the bath. The second thing I find amazing is that I've always find this amazing working in Hollywood is that. Those sides, right? That little be that little cut of that script went out to parents, right, of infants, because they had to, you know, they had to hire the infant. I know you said you can't believe they found yeah, yeah. a baby, but Jonah, you can find anything you want. We used to write overnight. You know, you could you rewrite a script at night nighttime, and you send the breakdown out at eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night, uh, and we'd say, oh, we need four midgets. And then you know I'd come to the office at 10 a.m. and there'd be uh, 27 midgets in you know in the hallway ready to read. <laughs> you can have anything you want. You know it doesn't well, you matter. Know, baby, babies don't have to read, Rob. No, but they have to. They have to be carried in, right? Yeah. So some parent brought their baby. That usually they're twins, right? Because you need to get you, you want to have identical twins so you can right. swap them if it, if it if it goes too long. Some. <laughs> or if you let parent, one drown, you have a replacement. <laughs> yeah, some parents brought their. <laughs> Brought their twins in for that part, and, and I'm sure said, "No, no, you know he he loves being underwater. No, no, he loves. <laughs> you know, oh, we're, you know and, we're, a, and we're practicing with him at home. He, he's he's gonna be great. Like, <laughs> it's like this line, Pauline Kale, when Pauline Kale wrote her review of The Exorcist, she concluded by saying." There must have been 1,800 people who tried out for the part of Regan in The Exorcist. When, the, when, when, when a mother watches Linda Blair 
vomiting and her head turning around and masturbating with a crucifix, does she think to herself, that could have been my little Susie, famous forever? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the great, one of the great lines ever. That, that is, it's like that kid, that could, that kid, that nearly drowned kid, that could have been my kid. Do you, but, you remember the Saturday Night Live uh, at sp- spoof of, of The Exorcist where they had Gilda Radner in the bed mm-hmm. and they, you know, there's this line that we can't even get past our censors at Ricochet that, that Regan says. And so they had Gilda Radner just shout, your mother shucks socks and tells. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you're like, what did she say? But you know what's weird? So it's only so it's only seven or eight years, I think. Maybe it's nine years or something since Battlestar Galactica, right? The 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 first two or three the first two seasons of which were maybe the best dramatic television ever on ever on television. And the the pilot of Battlestar Galactica begins with you know the villain uh, six, you know, walking through. Some you know, basically killing a baby, right? Right, and that was when you knew that you know the 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 Cylons were insupportably evil and had to be destroyed, and that you know she was a terif- the most terrifying villain ever, right? So we go from that to oh poor Carrie, she's so bipolar, and you know she's the she's the CIA agent who you know who needs her who needs her meds, but she really knows what's up and. She's really a so let's let's show her nearly drowning her baby and see if we can make people sympathetic to her. Even so, I mean that's a pretty amazing. It is. Pretty yeah, amazing. I was just I, I was like I can't believe they're going there, and um, and I don't know exactly whether they whether they want us to hate her or not, but it was. Or how much sympathy we're supposed they they think we're supposed to have for her, but it is like. Really, this is something that we're supposed to, you know, our heart's supposed to go out to I her know. that she would even think to drown her baby so she could then go back to Islamabad I know, that's unencumbered? So, having not but seen what I love the- about it is, like, you know, imagine, you know, she gets to go back to Islamabad. You know, she is going back to Islamabad, right? I mean, she knows that. So, like, she's only there for, like, a little, she's just, she's just there for, like, a week. Imagine having you do that every day. You know, like, like I mean, it reminds me. It's like, like, it's like Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, a website, Goop, Goop. or Goop or whatever Goop. it is. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not Glop. We know that. It's Goop. Um, it's Goop. She says something like, uh, you know, the important thing to be to be a healthy person, you have to love yourself. You need to take at least three hours of the day, maybe four, and just be centered and be beingness, the beingness with yourself. And to just yeah. be in nature and walk, like only a rich person who doesn't have a job can do that, right? And it's <laughs> yeah. sort of like the idea that, like, like Carrie comes back from Islamabad and she's like, she's giving her baby a bath. Now she's just faced, you know, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see the show, but she's been facing Islamic terrorists. That's scary, and yet faced with an infant in a batch of, oh, I'm overwhelmed. This is just too much. I can't handle this. <laughs> well, look. If we wanted to, if we wanted to delineate the many problems with Homeland, that's not too hard. I mean, she ends up like in a in an affair yeah. with the guy who then, Dang at it. the end of the second season, he tries. You know, he he he's you know he's strapped. He's got bombs strapped to him to try to kill the president or yeah, the vice president. Just, it blows up the CIA, and then he ends up hanged. You know, on a street in Tehran, and then she tries to get him the Congressional Medal of Honor or get him a, a tribute at the CIA. I mean, the whole thing is so ludicrous. It's so insanely some- ludicrous, and the whole thing is based on the whole thing about Homeland is it was based on an Israeli and an Israeli series that really asked a, a key unsettling question in Israeli terms, which is Gilad Shalit is held prisoner for five years. I mean, if, effectively, someone like Gilad Shalit is, is held prisoner for five years and then comes back what if he was turned how would you know and how what do you do if a national hero and a figure of deep national sympathy might actually have gone to the other side that was a very risky daring and very pointed thing and homeland took that even though i thought the first season was really good homeland took that and sort of turned it into this berserk ridiculous you know post Iraq war, you know, melodrama yeah. in which 
It's the same story, but what if what if he was turned and came back and fell in love with Claire Danes? Not quite the but but I still love the idea of these parents of these baby, the baby actor are I have this now on the baby's reel, and in a few years they can say, Oh, we want you to you know when he's old enough, I want you to see your work. Uh, and it's not the, uh, the diaper ad. It's like, it's, look, look, Claire Danes tried to drown you. Look, you really look like you're you're scared. But the baby <laughs> doesn't know the baby's acting. All the baby knows is scary lady is trying to drown me. That's right. I to remember, their credit, just so just yeah. so because you, you haven't seen it. To their credit, they did have the baby in the tub. And first of all, she, they're washing the baby in a full size grown up tub, which you're not supposed to do. But um, she, when it got to the point where the baby starts to go under the water. They sort of turned it into the Jaws view. They did it from the baby's point of view, so the camera goes under the water. Oh, but, oh that's uh, good. Yeah, that's good. That's that makes it even better. What's yeah. scary about yeah. that? No, nothing. Like that. Nothing. Yeah. Oof. You gotta show it. You gotta show it. Okay. Um, Speaking ago, of friends yeah. of mine. Yeah. I was just saying years ago, friends of mine who were working on a candid camera show told the story that they um they, they uh, set up little kids. You know, they're always doing candid camera stuff with little kids. And they had a bunch of little kids watching. Uh, it's put them in a park in front of a big fountain. And you couldn't see through the fountain. And they set up this kind of like uh, um, trompe l'oeil thing where an old lady would walk into the fountain. And then out of the fountain would come a little girl dressed just, just the same. And the little kids would think, oh, my God, it's the fountain of youth. And they would do it. You'd see the look of astonishment on the kid's face. And they would clap and loud. And then one little boy, after an old lady walked through the fountain, came out, a young girl. He turned to the person and said, that's wonderful. Bring grandma back. Oh my god! And they, uh, and they sort of uh, uh, said, "Well, cut. Okay, we're we're done for we're done for the day." <laughs> and they all kind of like felt really bad about themselves and their horrible work in the show business. Can we uh, can we talk a little about reality television since you bring this up? So you know, one of the things that's gone on on television the last couple of days is uh, is uh, is the Real Housewife of New Jersey, Teresa Judice, doing a two part interview with uh, Andy Cohen of uh, of on Bravo. Uh, prior to her going to jail for 15 months and her husband for 41 months subsequently for, you know, basically bilking uh, various people and the government out of $12 million. Uh, one of the Real Housewives in New Jersey, this follows word that one, that one of the stars of Jersey Shore is in trouble for not having paid taxes on $9 million. And, of course, the first really big reality television star, Richard Hatch, who won Survivor, the first year of Survivor, who spent a year in jail in Rhode Island for, for uh, income tax fraud. So the question is, is there now – can we now establish that the only people who go on reality television are lunatic sociopaths? <laughs> I mean – I mean now we now actually have – You mean like the real health evidence? Policy? Yeah. We now have actual evidence that the people who want to do this, you know, and are willing to sort of expose their lives in this way, have something wrong with them that leads that will that will lead them to do, yeah, that, you know, breaking news, John. Are you? Uh, I'm just yeah. bringing it up. I well, just, I, I, you started talking about candid camera, and I was just thinking those people at least unwitting, right? Right. They're right. unwitting. Reality TV is with the winning use of yourself as a character on television in order to get famous. So the only reality show that we watch in our house, other than cooking shows, which I think are different, right? Because I mean, yeah, they're, they're not really reality yeah, shows. Yeah. Right. Those are competition um, shows. Right. Uh, is a show called Naked and Afraid. Um, and it is unbelievably compelling television um, where the whole premise is, is that a man and a woman go – to some godforsaken corner of the earth in the Amazon or the Peruvian rainforest or the, uh, the African savanna, completely naked. They get a little sort of like the kind of bag you would get at Whole Foods if you wanted to bring your own bag that has one survival item each. And usually it's a fire starter or a machete. And then they have to survive out there for three weeks with no help whatsoever. But and five, but but twelve cameramen around them who are like well, they, eating food and dress. Yeah, and, they're like having a turkey sandwich. Right yeah, exactly. The camera. Yeah, but yeah. so these guys and and but the thing is, it's really you know ninety percent of the show is just watching how people cope with starvation <laughs> because they never catch anything except some grubs and some snails. There's a lot of snake eating, and um, 
what's interesting is, is that as you watch the show, you realize that there are certain personality types who show up over and over and over again. And they're really people who need – who are sort of semi-damaged people who desperately need to compensate for something wrong in their lives. And But it's great TV. I mean I, I really if – I, if I have a recommendation for this week, you know, other than Harry's Razor – it is naked and afraid uh, because it is constant. It's naked and afraid. <laughs> naked and afraid they, while there are 12 cameramen around you eating and in clothing. Yeah. And, and you're naked and, and, and you're, afraid alone. They're naked and afraid. No, but at, at night they are all alone. The camera crews go home. And How they only have they go home in the Amazon. Where are they? Well, they go back to their hotel and to Gugusakapa or whatever, and they're left with only like these night vision cameras. Look, there's a lot of BS reality show stuff too, <laughs> but these people are clearly starving because you watch over the course of the three weeks that they lose 30, 40 pounds. And you and can I tell gotta go on that. I gotta and, go on that. And, and, and half so, the time, so, so, I go on that with clothes. <laughs> yes. I just want to go on that with no. clothes. And, and th- that's that sounds like a promising diet plan. Oh, but about half the time, they be, people. They have to go home early because uh, they. Well, so would I if I'd already lost the thirty pounds. I don't see no because they're so God. starving that they end up eating yeah. like uh, pieces of carrion off the ground, and they get these horrible bacterial infections <laughs> oh and start ex- <laughs> sort of exploding out of every orifice. Yeah, I, really, ha- I think they, everyone should watch this too. I think yeah, I think yeah. it's fantastic. I think yeah, we should send politicians on this show. I, mean, I think it's great. <laughs> I think so too. I think oh. yeah. Uh, okay, I, so yeah. two quick – can we do two quick hits? Yeah. Or culture – number one. So Adam Sandler has signed yeah. a deal with Netflix to make four yeah. movies for Netflix. We don't know how much money. We can presume it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars that he's getting. Um, is this like the breakthrough moment? Is this the moment when really – yeah, all of modern media are basically now everything yes. is converging. Okay. Yes, yes, it is. It is, and okay. The, all the morons I know in the entertainment business say, "Well, you know, he's like an aging movie star, and his movies don't make any money anyway, so he couldn't put a movie in the theaters." Blah blah blah. Uh, the number one rental movie last week was uh, a movie called um, Blended. Blended, which was his picture, by the way. Which I thought was terrible, by the way. Uh, yeah, okay. Good, but it bad, was his different. picture. But it was his picture. And what they've discovered is that there's no point. It costs too much money to put a movie in the theaters. Why are we spending all that money to release and promote an Adam Sandler picture? People who like Adam Sandler pictures are going to go to the Adam Sandler picture. So why don't we just deliver and serve it up to them um, for the price that Adam Sandler wants? And that way, it's just already done. It's a done deal. It makes complete sense. It is, um, it is just one more sign of the end of Hollywood as we know it, which is good news for customers and viewers and uh, Adam Sandler fans. And remember, Adam Sandler is a very, very smart businessman. He yes. left SNL or was fired off SNL. He came to Hollywood with a plan to make these cheap, funny, wild, crazy uh, you know, movies that would be a particular appeal to teenage boys. And he, it really worked. You know, he made these movies. They've been on television nonstop for 20 years. They made money when they were in the theaters. He leveraged it into major stardom. He's slowing down, although he made two huge hits in the last couple of years, Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2, both of which made hundreds of millions of dollars. And if he has decided that this is the way to go, that really says something real. You know, this is not like his career is finished, so he's just gone into, you know, TV, which is the way people did stuff in the 60s and 70s. You know, Henry Fonda could no longer get a movie, so he'd agree to play a cop on TV and it wouldn't work and the series would go off in in 13 episodes. So that's number one. Number two is uh, the big... Uh, Christopher Nolan science fiction movie Interstellar is going to open in about a month. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, Nolan is a unique figure in that he, aside from making the Batman movies, actually makes movies from his own original scripts uh, and makes big, large, operatic movies like Inception from his own scripts. He writes with his brother and no one really knows what this is about. It's about some effort to save the Earth by going out of the solar system. Um, but the, the trailers are very un, unrevelatory. Anybody looking forward to this or is it just another like, you know, oh, global warming? Uh, 
you know, like I, mean, I, I don't mind sci-fi that works on the premise that Earth is dying. That's a very old tradition. People were doing that when they thought the Earth was freezing. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, it's it's also it's just a huge cliche. You know, we used up the Earth is how they be, always begin. You know, Firefly, which was a great show. Um, I don't know the tone of it. You've watched the trailer. It's the tone of it. It kind of bothers me. It seems like an apocalyptic version of Contact, right? Um, where it can't decide whether it's an action movie or if it's a surreal kind of, you know, visual postcard kind of movie. Or like, what was that horrible George Clooney sci-fi movie? Oh, where uh, he Solaris. went into space with Solaris. his dead wife or something? Yeah, Solaris. Um, Solaris. Yeah, Steven that was not Soderberg, good. A two hundred million dollar remake of a twelve dollar Russian Soviet movie. Uh, um, not good. There's a whiff right. of Solaris to it, but I, I, I like Nolan, so I'm willing to give it a shot. You know, who knows? Speaking of Steven Soderbergh, if you've if you've watched The Nick, which he's directed, the show on Cinemax, which is about a hospital in New York in 1900, it, it is among the most disgusting things you've ever seen. It is just like scene yeah. after scene of disgusting surgeries as they would have been performed in 1900. You know, as though you're watching them from YouTube. <laughs> videos of what you know how a surgery is done only blood spatters and you know yeah, people so, are pumping things and people are screaming perfect. on the table it's just horrible and it's so dark too everything's yeah. dark like uh, right, you, but, you forget how dark the rooms were they were really dark yeah but yeah it's worth pointing out as as the guy who for john's sake did that enormous piece on Piketty. it is a good example of why things are so much better now than they were a hundred years ago. Right. I mean, like yeah. uh, the, the, the poorest people in this country get better surgery than the, the, the richest people got in 1900. Um, you well, know, speak just- for yourself. Well, you, <laughs> you with your fancy health insurance. Well, thank goodness for Obamacare because at least now, Poor, no, that's right. You know, now poor people are having around. their heads held down with leather straps as they, without anesthesia, <laughs> have their spleens removed. Yeah. <laughs> well, but even that was like that. that they, you, 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 oh, you'd be lucky to have your spleen removed. There's a scene. There's a scene in the show. There's a scene in the show where a woman who has syphilis and has you know sort of lost part of her nose because she has syphilis gets an early version of a skin graft by which. Uh, uh, the 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 head surgeon in the show sews her forearm to her nose, and she has to sit there on screen. Imagine with her hand where with her hand up above her head, and her mm-hmm. arm sewed to her nose. And then they have like a whole conversation about how they used to be in love, but then she got syphilis, and her hand is sewed. Her forearm is sewed to her nose. And so, you know, you know what that actress least, is saying. Yeah. You know, afterwards, she's like. Don't these people know who I am? I got my start as the drowning baby. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> oh, a callback. I've done. Have you seen my drowning work? <laughs> now that's what I call I a perfect a to that character. Okay, I so basically, here's here's where we are. There may be a wave. There may not be a wave. There's a really good razor for, at Harry's.com. Uh, uh, Somebody uh, is actually uh, pointing out, Scott uh, Immigrant, our producer, is pointing out that, um, that Bono's daughter uh, plays a nurse on, uh, on uh, the Nick, so we should, uh, we should make note of that. Um, so the Nick will Interstellar now be automatically, may not be automatically put into your iPhone. Claire Danes is drowning, is almost drowning babies, on, and, and people say that American civilization is not finished. <laughs> <laughs> Do, wait, who says that? <laughs> no, I don't know. Who says Americans? I don't know. Everyone says American civilization is finished, but at least as it finishes, we'll be able to watch Adam Sandler on, yeah. Netflix. on Netflix. And I think that brings us full circle to the end of yet another pointless hour that you have spent. So embarrassing. With Rob Long, Jonah Goldberg, and me, John Podhoritz. Rob, do you have anything to pitch or you know, Sullivan and Son new shows? No, uh, we're, we're show? we're you, you wrapped year. up. We're, we're, we're wrapped. We, we we had our had our run. We're hoping for a fourth season. Um, uh, Jonah and I are going to be performing uh, together on stage together at the. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if they're selling tickets or what they're doing or 
for the release of a, a, a book of essays we contributed to, which I'm sure we'll do another um, special podcast to, uh, to to shill, as they say. Um, which book is that? This is a book called the the Seven Deadly Virtues. Ah, yes, the Seven Deadly Virtues. I am actually publishing uh, an essay by uh, Andy Ferguson that is in that book. Edited mm-hmm. by Jonathan V. Last, coming out from Templeton Press. And if you, in the uh, yeah. November issue of Commentary, will be uh, Andy Ferguson's article on prudence. And if you're and uh, you will be performing. Uh, yes, on the 28th of October. In At AEI. At AEI, yeah. I am organizing that panel. Um, that panel. And on a, a week from, I don't know if I'm supposed to date the show, but let's just say That's on right. October 14th, I will be at Penn State University. Uh, giving a speech for the Young America's Foundation. It's open to the community. Um, it's always nice to have, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, friendly faces from around uh, in the audience in case the audience is hostile. And I uh, hope to see people there. In case. And uh, I think, uh, I believe that all three of us together will be on the post-election National Review Cruise uh, in November. Yeah. Um, and we, we're going to see about whether or not we can, um, we can do a, make a show for you guys, uh, yeah, while, we we're, while we're, while we're at sea, literally and figuratively, literally and figuratively. Exactly. Yes. As Greg uh, Brady said, we can put the show on right here. That was Greg Brady or Mickey <laughs> Rooney. I think that was Mickey Rooney. No, I, I, but I'm referring to the silver platters episode. Uh, speaking uh, of which, uh, by the way, go to YouTube and type in Brady colon an American Chronicle. I watched this yesterday. I remembered it from 1996. Nick at Night did a half-hour-long parody of Ken Burns's The Civil War, only the, only the subject was the Brady Bunch. And it's one of the funniest things <laughs> ever, ever, ever. See, yeah. when you said Brady colon, I thought you were referring to the Nick and you were talking about a colon like the internal viscera kind well, of no, thing. Well, that's, that's the episode <laughs> when Robert Reed playing a, playing a transsexual, uh, as he did on Medical Center, uh, one of the great uh, episodes of television of all time when Robert Reed is, becomes a woman at the end of the episode. Right. Um, uh, sort of like Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so yes, uh, that his colon is removed as part of that. Uh, process. <laughs> wow. Because All right. what did they know? What did they know back in 1970 yeah. when they were doing they transsexual were, operations? They were trans. They thought they thought you needed to take the colon out. Yeah, they just we, we've come so far. Uh, <laughs> you know, and once pickety, again, another big full pickety. <laughs> full now we made the full pickety. Okay, now we're real. This is a total degeneration. It's my fault. I apologize. Sei gesund, as we say in Yiddish. Have a wonderful month. We'll talk to you again. Bella, see you soon. See ya. Bye. Join the conversation. situation maturely just like the responsible adults that we are isn't that right mr poopy pants